I, I saw a flurry of people submitting it yesterday, last night. Interesting. Uh, I already said that there's no deadline as such, um, but many of you still chose to stick to the deadline that you guys said you would. Uh, you could have submitted this two months later and it would still be valid. Uh, so interesting choice of deadline that you stuck to. Uh, Mahir lost her. How did that happen, Mahir? So, like, um, I don't know. Like, when I told you about the extension, so I don't know. I opened it, I was gone, and I did everything possible. <laughs> but, but I took pictures of it, so I have some of it. So, mm -hmm. it's just going to be rewriting a lot. So. Did you take pictures of your screen? Yeah, I was showing my friend. As <laughs> so opposed to just sending the file. What do you mean, sorry? Can I say that? You just send the file to them or copy paste no, no. the text. I took screenshots. I I wanted to show like a portion of it, not the whole thing. So yeah. some of it is with me then in that manner, but I lost most of it. So that also. Hafsa says it's all God's plan. Uh, yeah, I think <laughs> I have like a valid reason to take the extension now. Like, <laughs> There, there is no valid or non-valid reason. You can take the extension based on your own reasoning. I've been very clear about that. Uh, and it's still enjoyable to see that many people just stick to uh, what they have. And uh, that phenomenon is called learned helplessness in psychology. Uh, maybe we'll cover it, not really part of this course. Well, essentially it says that um, once you're aware that you can't do anything to change your circumstances, even if those circumstances then change, you still don't change according to the circumstances because you think that you're stuck into those, uh, in, that, in that situation. Um, I think there was an example of an elephant that they chained uh, to the wall for the first two or three years of its life. So the elephant learned that it couldn't move beyond a certain radius and then after that they released the chains and even when the chains were released the elephant never moved beyond the radius it was originally stuck to because it had learned to be helpless in that situation. Uh, Sherezade says she has forgotten how to write in first person. Uh, evidently uh, a lot of people struggle with this um, but we'll discuss the reflection. So this is what we're doing today. Uh, in the first half of class, uh, we're going to get a short introduction to research methods, uh, user research, why it's important, why we do it, uh, and then link it to the project. So I'll introduce one part of that project. Um, and then the second half, we'll just discuss the reflection paper. Uh, so get your papers out if you've written them or your notes, get your favorite beverage of choice and we'll just have a discussion on how that went. Um, now, in order to do the slides, I have this green screen here, which for a change is actually green. So I'm gonna put my slides up here and hopefully it works because I've had to realign all of them to fit on only half the screen size. So. Uh, here we go, never before done in LUMS uh, experiments happen in this class. Uh, dun, 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 dun. 
and also I'm annoyed because I have to use my office computer, which is terrible. Okay. And if I maximize here, see it fits perfectly right in the middle. So now I can talk, you can see me and you can see the slides. So uh, we're uh, maintaining the, uh, the sanctity of seeing human faces while also having slides. Um, so full like talk show host, John Oliver type, here I am speaking and then here is what is happening. Behind. So these slides are mainly very small bullets, just so you know where we are and what we're doing. Uh, and then I can just move it across if need be. So I can still make myself bigger and smaller. Uh, yeah. All right, so as you can see from this here, uh, black is a little overwhelming. I think we might have to rethink the color of the background. Um, we are first going to look at what methods you've so far used in academia. Uh, then we're going to talk about how that's different in the industry. And then we're going to look at uh, uh, the research project. Uh, a tutorial on how to do this. Um, sure, ask me after class, uh, pretty straightforward. Uh, so first of all, huh, the alignment stop here. Uh, we're going to discuss what is the difference between academic research and industry research. You guys are probably no stranger to academic research. Uh, you've been doing it in lums in some way, shape or form, uh, or more than likely you are, you've been reading papers, especially if you've uh, taken a psychology class about uh, other people doing their research. Uh, and it's fairly uh, complicated compared to um, the industry uh, methods. Um, and there's a reason for that, which is that the purpose of academic research is entirely different. The purpose of academic research is to generate knowledge. When we say generate knowledge, uh, it's usually us uh, or the researchers talking about some grand theory and how, um, you know, whether or not it's true, there's a hypothesis and you confirm it or reject it, there's math and all of that. And they have to do all of those things um, because, um, let me skip ahead here, uh, because you are generating knowledge. Whatever you find is going to be used in other research in schools and colleges and people are going to be making, uh, doing further research on the basis of the research that you've done. So uh, I introduced the social comparison theory, for instance. Um, the idea with that is that uh, you know you make comparisons there's an ideal self and then there's a, an actual self um, and then you make upward and downward comparisons uh, mr uncle festinger made that theory he tested it and he said okay it seems to work and then other people based on that theory uh, have other research that they do on that so their their premise is we know that there is some validity to the social comparison theory. So we don't need to do that again. Let's build on top of it. So you get this mountain of knowledge and because each step is building upon the last, you want to make very, very sure that what you're finding is accurate. Um, and there's no you know, dodgy research methods used or um, results that you've manipulated, things like that. Uh, and you're just doing it for knowledge sake. That is basically what academia is. 
I'm interested in something, uh, I want to gain more knowledge about something, I do it just for the knowledge. Clearly, there's no money in academia. You can ask me, I'm half in academia. So we're not doing this for the money, certainly. It's either the fame, uh, if you have a celebrity professor, which we have plenty of uh, in LAMS, especially on Twitter. So it gives you some clout to, uh, you know, get people to give you more credibility. Uh, and then because of that, uh, the other reason uh, is to generate knowledge. Um, and so because of that, you want to be uh, very careful about every single detail. So you want to make sure that the research is valid, it's reliable. Um, I don't know if you guys remember those terms from HP, well, half of you haven't taken HP, but basically these are checks and measures uh, put in place to ensure that what you're testing, what you're finding out in your research is actually um, what you intended to find out. Um, so maybe I start testing, uh, you know, how does aggression cause violence? And I do actually, that's a, a complicated example and even simpler example that you guys can relate to. Uh, do SAT scores predict intelligence? Um, so you do a SAT score and then you know you sort of measure intelligence. But what you're what you might be measuring is not intelligence, but maybe memory or maybe uh, how good you are at math, which might explain some part of intelligence, but certainly not uh, the entire scope of intelligence. So you have uh, validity, reliability, and things like that. Uh, to ensure that you actually are measuring intelligence and not some other thing that might be related to uh, intelligence. Uh, so it's very rigorous because of that reason. And here we have industry. Uh, that's all that matters in industry. We don't care about how valid or reliable it is necessarily. Um, we don't care about generating knowledge necessarily. All we want is how can we make better decisions, which in turn lead to more money for your company or product or whatever. Um, and so because the purpose has changed in academia, you are talking about generating knowledge for knowledge sake. You know, it's, it's a noble cause. And so we we're you know, doing something for the good of the world. In industry, it's we're doing it for the good of the company. And so because the purpose has changed, the methods change and uh, you know, the, the structure of the research changes. Uh, corporate slaves, yes. Uh, this is a sort of research you do in your SDSP courses, I think. I don't think you do research in SDSP courses. That's just slides which is even worse. Uh, well flashbacks to it's there to make up the numbers uh yeah it crosses it's what gets you the marks uh again not trashing stsp as a whole it's just that the purpose is different um Actually, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable trashing STS as a whole. It's trash. Don't go there. Uh, or you're already in there. I guess I'll teach freshmen next year and tell them not to go there. Uh, uh, so 
because of the purpose of industry, which is to make more money, the knowledge is short term and limited in scope. Uh, what applies today might not apply tomorrow. What applies this quarter might not apply next quarter. What applies this year might not apply next year. Um, and the obvious reason for that obviously is how quickly the industry changes. So you can see how Facebook and smartphones and computers have progressed over the last eight or 10 years. The social comparison theory is from 1956 or something. So 70 years later, we can still pick it up and be like, yeah, this makes sense. Humans still behave this way. Uh, we still operate like that. So great, fine, we, we, can, we can get behind this. But imagine using research on computers from 70 years ago. It's a completely different landscape. Uh, and so this research is faster and it's more iterative because uh, it changes very, very quickly. Um, and so we're not related and we're not concerned necessarily with the underlying mechanisms. Why is it the way that this happens? We just want results. So if I can get you to buy, uh, if you are on the RAS and you're buying 5,000 rupees worth of items, and I can get you to buy 15,000 rupees worth of items next year, I don't care why that's happening. All I care is that you're purchasing more and more and more. Um, and obviously it helps to understand why, so we can reapply that learning uh, and understand it better so we can use that knowledge like, more. But in the end, it's all about metrics and numbers. And as long as you're getting that 200% increase in sales, we're not concerned with which puts this course and consumer psychology in a very awkward place because that is what we're trying to do in this course, trying to understand why we're doing these things. Um, with the knowledge that the reasons why we're doing these things might be changing very quickly. Um, and so I try to ground some of these things in a long held theory. So social comparison, for instance, people were doing it 70 years ago, they're still doing it today, just that the medium has changed. Uh, and so the message has changed. There we go. Medium is the message. Uh, yep. Uh, try to do that once in every class. Um, but then, uh, whether that medium is Instagram today and uh, I don't know, Facebook tomorrow or Snapchat or whatever, that changes. And so the research on that product or on that company changes along with it. Um, so that's where we are. Uh, and now we have this very lengthy academic method and I'm not going to explain like each of these things. If you have taken social psychology, you've almost certainly done these things. If you've taken HP, you still aware of some of these things, but um, don't worry about what these are. Uh, I've deliberately put lots of points in complicated words here uh, in order to display just how comprehensive academic research is. Uh, and there's varieties of academic research, of course. Uh, this one in particular is called an experimental design. So what you have is first you do uh, a secondary research or a literature review where you're not even doing your own research. You're just looking at what other people have found out uh, in order to find whether or not your research is relevant or not. Uh, if you have an original idea, you'll find that someone somewhere in the world has already had that idea. And we do secondary research to avoid reinventing the wheel because uh, any idea you have, you type it into Google and there's probably already research on it. But what it does help us do is find 
a gap that, okay, they did research on social comparison theory in the US and in Europe, but nobody's ever done it in Pakistan on a female population between 18 and 27. So let me do my research on that and see if it still holds true for this population and age group. So you, you find gaps in the existing research. Then you have um, a research question, which as the name suggests, what is it that you're trying to answer? Uh, then you have a hypothesis. What do you think the answer to that question is? Um, then again, variables, operationalization of those variables is what you're measuring. So uh, taking the SAT and intelligence example, for instance, um, let me see if I can do this on the fly. My research question is, uh, does the SAT measure intelligence? Uh, my hypothesis is that yes, it does. And then um, I make a variable, which is I have some people, uh, actually that's a control group, but my variable is, uh, do I want to get into independent? I'm not gonna get into independent and dependent variables, not relevant, but I say, okay, I have people who took the SAT and then I take an intelligence test or an IQ test later. Um, and I have people who didn't take the SAT or took a different test and then I, you know, have their IQ results as well. The IQ doesn't measure intelligence either, but for this purpose, we're using it uh, as a metric. And then I have my control group and experimental group, uh, which is the populations are justifying people who took the SAT, people who didn't take the SAT, people who took a different test that was not the SAT, but still claims to measure, I don't know, the GRE, for instance. Uh, and then I give them those tests, I take their IQ results and I put them into a number cruncher, SPSS or whatever, I run some statistical analyses and then I say, I am 95% confident that given these results, the SAT does indeed measure intelligence and those are my results and it confirms my hypothesis. Um, our hypothesis is based on something empirical as well. Um, it doesn't necessarily matter what you are personally inclined towards um, because the hypothesis is just stating, I could just, so my, my, hypo my hypothesis could be, yes, the SAT does indeed measure intelligence. Your hypothesis could be uh, the SAT does not measure intelligence. When we get the results, the only thing that changes is the flipping of the confirmation or the rejection. My hypothesis is confirmed and yours is rejected uh, based on the same results because you're just phrasing it the other way around. So it doesn't matter which side you're personally inclined towards. Uh, generally, yes, you do have something that you're inclined towards and you state that, but then that's why we have the statistical analyses to confirm or reject what you think. Uh, yeah, and Minhal, as always eloquent, it depends, uh, could have just said that. Um, industry methods uh, or tech research methods, uh, share some of the characteristics of academic methods, but they're also different again because of the purpose. So when I say, when I use the term industry methods, I'm going to switch over to a different term shortly. Um, I, when I say industry methods or technology methods or tech research or design research or user research or consumer research or user experience research or UX research, I'm referring to the same thing. Uh, they overlap a lot and in, in, in many cases they are the same, there are some nuances, uh, but for the purposes of this class, 
um, they're the same. So I'm going to use user research uh, from now on or, or UX research. Uh, it still just means industry research. Um, and because the purpose is different, the methods are different, we may still use the experimental method. So this you may still find in the industry in, in user research, uh, but it's it tends to be very unlikely uh, because we have faster methods and more iterative methods. So because we're not concerned with getting the best possible generative knowledge, uh, we're fine with it being fast and loose. Um, okay, okay, we're, we're in the right ballpark. Hamari sales 5,000 to 7,000. We're getting the results. So we're headed in the right direction. We don't necessarily care why that's the case. Uh, we don't want to get into the whole control group, experimental group, all of those things. If, in, if we can get results faster, that's fine. Um, because you also tend to have more money to spend. So if you go wrong somewhere, you can just spend additional money to fix that. Um, whereas in academia, you have a fixed funding uh, and you, know, you want to be very, very, very sure that what you're about to do is indeed going to be the way you want it to be. Uh, here, it's more iterative. Uh, I conduct some quick research today. I get some results. I test those results. If they come back good, I do another research uh, project two weeks from now where I build upon that. If that doesn't return good results, I go back, I do another research project three weeks from now. So I, I, you know, I test, I get my findings, I test those findings, I go back, I research, I test again, and this is more iterative. Uh, whereas in academia, you have one shot at doing the whole thing. Um, so obviously it's uh, a lot quicker. Uh, and again, that's because we don't care as much for the longevity of the research. Uh, when we have technology helping us do the research, it's faster. I, I don't have to go person to person to send a survey. I can just distribute it uh, over email. Um, I don't need for you to be in person to conduct an interview. I can do it over Zoom. Um, I don't have to do the whole control group, experimental group thing, hire people to conduct that experiment. I can just automate all of it on the computer. That means it's faster and I have more money left over to do it again and again and again and again until I get the results that I'm looking for. Um, and as I said, the reason why it's iterative is because what works today might not work tomorrow, uh, which is not the case in academia. Uh, so this is a summary of uh, user research methods. And as you can see, there's a lot of them. The academic method, um, let me see if I can find it here. Where is it? Is there an experimental thing here? Do you see experiments? I don't think they've included. I'm pretty sure I saw it somewhere here. But anyway, um, so here, uh, but the, we have an x-axis and a y-axis. Um, if you want to understand people's behavior, um, how are they doing things? What are they doing? Uh, you lean towards this side. I, I, I suppose you can't see my mouse, right? Can you see my cursor? So I'll just point, great. So we're going from behavioral to attitudinal here. Attitudinal is what do people think about something? And behavioral is how do people behave about that thing. Uh, and you might think that, well, what pe how people behave is also how they think. But as I'm sure you're aware, that's not the case. I say one thing and I do another thing. I believe that uh, 
I don't know, we should not have Indian content on Pakistani television. Uh, but then I go on YouTube and watch all of those Bollywood songs anyway. Uh, so there's a difference between my attitude towards Indian songs and my behavior towards Indian content. Uh, and then here we have qualitative and quantitative, which I hope I don't need to explain the difference between. Um, and so then you have all of these methods. Um, we're only going to touch upon a few of them um, in order to understand which one works for what we're trying to do. So if you wanted to understand what people think, this is in reverse. So uh, if you wanted to understand what people think and you wanted to be qualitative about it, then you do an interview, obviously, because people are telling you in an interview what they think. And because they're speaking to you, there's no numbers that you're collecting. Uh, you're getting qualitative attitudinal information with an interview. If you wanted to get quantitative information about how they think, uh, you ask them on a scale of one to five, how much do you agree or disagree with this statement in a survey? Um, I'm sure you've come across plenty of those surveys. So now I get a quantitative feel for how you think about something. Um, I don't know, Lums uh, houses, Lums is not for uh, people who are not the elite class. Uh, on a scale of one to seven, how much do you agree or disagree? I get an average score of 5.7. Um, so that gives me a quantitative uh, figure for how people think. Uh, what's the PDC survey? I don't get those things. Instructor evaluations tend to have both. Uh, like all of it is attitudinal. Uh, it's asking you for qualitative stuff and it's asking you for quantitative uh, you know, results as well. Um, then we have behavioral, which is observing how people are actually doing things. So clickstream analysis, for, for instance, is uh, me trying to map out what you're clicking on. So you open Facebook, uh, then you go on, actually, let's do another example. You open Amazon, then you scroll through, then you click on um, baby clothes, then you go to um, girls' baby clothes, then you go to onesies, and then you're looking at blue onesies. Uh, if I interview, you might say, I have no reason to buy baby clothes or even look at them because I don't have a baby. But the clickstream analysis tells me, well, that's what you think, but that's not how you're behaving. So clearly there is some interest there. And also I can quantify that interest because I can see where you're clicking, how frequently you're clicking, how much you're, how long you're spending on that page, how many options you're looking at. So there's a quantitative, uh, you know, data trail that you're leaving. Uh, unfortunately, there's no qualitative behavioral thing, but what comes close is um, these guys, which is specifically on uh, tech-like methods. I'm, I'm gonna go on some of these things here, uh, but let's take a break here. Uh, I don't have Spotify on this computer, so Moid is going to be our DJ and uh, we shall reconvene in five to seven minutes. All right. Is this thing on? Yes, I think it is. Yeah. Um, all right. I will do the whole share thing again. Again, I'm going to be, this is my 
annoyed face when I have to go through five steps uh, to open this whole thing again. And now I have to reset it again uh, and go all the way to where we left off. Now you're going to hear very loud click, 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 click. Okay. This is where we left off. Um, and obviously there's a ton of things here. We can, if you find any of these things interesting and I can go into more detail, but I'm going to pick uh, four or five of these to explain in more detail. Uh, these are the ones that I'm picking on. Uh, and then I'll see how much uh, detail I want to go into uh, with these methods. Uh, uh, you can see that this here, is uh, experiments, which was the academic method, the predominantly uh, used method in academia. But here we have all of these things that we use in the industry, uh, many of which we don't find in academia because they're not very rigorous. Uh, they're not generating watertight knowledge that this indeed is the way things should be. They're just generating good enough knowledge uh, for the purpose of building whatever product or making whatever decision uh, you have in your uh, company. Um, so methods uh, the question is why? Why do we go through all of these methods? Um, why is it important to do this research? Why can't we just make products you know, the way we like them to. Uh, I like the color blue, so Instagram should be blue. Um, I don't need to consult other people or my users about that. Uh, Ikra, I think you had uh, some examples to share with us as well. And also uh, she wants to ask you about your research that you do at LAMS as well. Um, so if you're- Yes. Okay, so I think I'll start with the questions first and then let them know what I found out. Mm -hmm. So all of you have done several projects at LAMS. I would like to know what methods have you used for your projects uh, and how useful did you find them? I'd be interested to see the difference between SDSP people and SSC people and HSS people because all three of those schools use very different methods. And again, the purpose is different. So like what methods have you used? Let's get the easiest one out of the way first. Interviews Saruni kiye hai. Um, oh wow, two pages of chemistry articles to cite one line. Uh, I've, I've been there Hafsa. Uh, and then eventually I just started just searching for the one line I wanted to cite and skipping the rest. Not great. Uh, surveys, interviews, secondary research, interview surveys, surveys, ethnographies, co-creations, thematic analysis, lit review, surveys, uh, book review. Uh, Ali, Ali Asher has a pretty wide range of methods. Do you want to talk about one of these, like co-creation and thematic analysis, ethnographies, that those are a little unusual. Uh, sure, yeah, why not? Am I audible? Yep. Uh, so for um, thematic analysis, what you do is um, after you've um, interacted with a couple of people and through the initial stages of user research, because through interviews, right? So thematic analysis, you 
group your data into themes so that when you're into the next step of your interviews and research process so you know what themes you want to talk about for example if you're talking about misinformation so you know that the information the misinformation that's present in pakistan is um is is themed right so for example it's um, because of religion or certain factors or certain things that cause that so you categorize the data into themes so that is thematic analysis in essence mm-hmm. other than that mm-hmm. um where did you do an ethnography um it's ethnography was for the ICTD course it was just a uh, yeah a, a very uh different version of ethnography <laughs> mm-hmm. so, uh, they all count lena has also done <laughs> an ethnography uh, yeah, if you want uh, to share what it is um i'm supposed to do it this semester um we're uh, for my special politics course we don't have the details yet fully but um usme basically we need to look at any space um a virtual space and do an ethnography on that very interesting they picked a bad semester to do an ethnography yeah. Yeah. you have my sympathies uh so we're all used to at least some of these we understand what surveys and interviews are and then some of you have done uh some of the other things um and i don't want to generalize too much but essentially you want to understand why people are doing what they're doing uh in this case we're looking at consumer behavior uh with technology it's why are you using this app versus some other app or this product versus some other product uh why do you use it why don't you use alternatives um again we're looking at behavior what is it that you're doing so that's the why part why do you use something and then we have the how part which is uh what do you believe about something how does it work uh what do you think it does um and i'm i'm uh categorizing these how questions under schemas and mental models and if you have taken hci or are you taking hci minel we get to co-creation then you must have come across mental models and if you've taken hp uh, then you've come across schema so does anyone want to tell me what either of these two uh terms are or elaborate on them based on what you know already hp people should know what schemas are that's i think week 2 or 3 of hp and mental models i mean i i saw some of you in the hci class not 2 weeks ago uh, and dr sulman was talking about this so i know that you know and i've seen you in that class so you can't claim that you don't uh minel says that it's what you think of how something works from all the information you get from the product yep um another way of saying what i have on here um and sharzad says schemas are frameworks for our knowledge uh exactly so in schemas you're organizing knowledge uh does anyone want to give an example of a schema before i give one and then mental models uh we're not i'll show you a few pictures um social roles uh, what do you mean by social roles bisma 
database schema. That's a very CS answer, Minhal, database schemas. Uh, I've been part in, in those conversations and the tech person in me and the psychology person in me cannot compute ho jata ki schema ka word use hai ya kaun se wale schema ki baat kar rahe hain and phir pata chalta hai acha ha ye wala hai your mental schema for what a kitchen should look like uh, so yeah but if you if you're in a uh, a room with a stove and a toaster that's probably a kitchen based on what you know about kitchens um let me show you um an example uh of animal schemas so um you know that there is something called an animal we know that animals eat breathe and can move uh and then we know that there are different types of animals so there are birds and there are fish and then within birds we know that these are some of the general characteristics of birds uh but then also we have two specific types of birds um and this can fly this can't fly and other birds can fly so what's happening here is that you have a big schema about an animal we have all sorts of animals we associate all of these traits with animals uh, but then we know that birds and fish are two different types of animals and and so we're starting to build a schema now if i tell you that i came across something that eats breathes and can move uh, but does not have wings and does not have gills what is that animal i mean it could be literally any animal uh, your brain will create a new schema yes asn or add it as part of an existing schema so one type of animal that that description could describe is a human being another could be a lion does not have wings and does not have gills which isn't on here um but if i tell you that uh, there is an animal that has wings has feathers and can fly and is yellow then you can probably guess that it's a canary even if i don't tell you that it can sing uh, and so you have these pieces of information in your head that you've organized according to different categories and you add more or remove once you start knowing more about that animal okay theek hai generally fish have these characteristics but we also have uh, these two different types of fish some of which have those and some of which don't uh, mind palace exactly that could be a, that's a pop culture way of referring to these things um and the reason why we're interested in schemas is is when i'm building a product how are my users uh, you know categorizing information about my product if i know that a big red x means close i had to find out about that information from experience or through the product and so the next time i encounter a big red x it's likely that i will think that if i press that whatever is on the screen will close um and so you get these uh you know if you want to make a better product a more usable product then you want to make sure that what you're building or is already aligned with people's schemas and mental models uh, i just so happened to find this example about animals as an easy way to introduce schemas um but i also found another example uh, which happens to be very similar to this one um and 
I think will sort of like introduce you to uh, what the like to someone who does not have um, the schema that we're used to. So uh, this is again a video of my niece. I learn about technology from her because um, you know she does not have the same structures or mental models or schemas that we have. So this is her um, playing with a typical, and of course you can't listen to the audio, so I have to do it again. This is her playing with a typical, you know, farm animal set, and uh, she's uh, two and two and something, uh, touching three years old here. Uh, so she doesn't have a fully formed scheme of what some, some animals should be like. So listen to this part. It's a goose. It's a pigeon. No, this is a pigeon. No, this is not a goose. Goose is this. This is goose. Look at its beak. It's a pigeon. Yes, it's a pigeon. Hanji, yeah, goose. Where's pigeon? Hanji, yeah, pigeon. So why did she confuse the pigeon with the goose? It's uh, they're both white. Yes. There are other uh, factors also, of course. The, she doesn't have a previous association. Uh, Feathers and beaks. Uh, if you notice, her dad said, look, it has a beak. So uh, something that looks like a bird, uh, has feathers, is white, has webbed feet, and has uh, a beak, is describing both a pigeon and a goose. And then she's getting to learn about the size. So a pigeon is smaller than a goose. And therefore, I'm going to add that to my schema. You can tell in the four or five seconds that she's paused and she's trying to process that information. That's when she's adding a new, uh, you know, she's adding this part here that the pigeon and the goose share all of these characteristics, but one is larger and one is smaller. Uh, and so they're separate, they're not the same. Uh, and so it's the same with um, products. You know, you want people to understand how you're building those products. What does each thing do? Why is um, you know a red button on a Mac different from a red button on a Windows device? What's the difference between Android and iOS? Um, where is the back button? Is it in the top left? Is it in the top right? Uh, and that's sort of bleeding into mental models. Um, I'm going to skip this one is not a great example of a mental model. Um, but basically, uh, schemas is how you organize knowledge, uh, which is what she was doing in order to get to the difference between a pigeon and a goose. 
and then mental models are what you believe about the system. If I go to the top right corner, I'll find the cross icon. Uh, someone else's mental model might be like, I don't know about crosses, but if I press Alt F4, it will still achieve the same result. So how you think something works is your mental model of that thing. Um, SN has a great example about the dark web. It's just so different um, from how we think something should work, how you access it. I don't know a whole lot about it, uh, but you often see that problem with uh, creating new products. So um, today, for instance, I had a friend who uh, got into her car and um, it wasn't a car she was used to driving. And so she started looking for the power button because the cars that she was used to driving have a remote key with the power button that you use to turn it on. Um, whereas that car required a key. So your mental model of how a car should start uh, changes from turning, inserting the key and turning it on to not inserting the key and just pressing a button. So two actions that do the same thing, uh, but in different ways. Um, how do you think this website works? I think we all have a mental model for how Google works through experience. Um, if you had to teach someone how to use Google, wouldn't require a lot of time uh, unless they were very new to the internet. And so you have to explain to them what the internet is and what Google search does in order to help you get what you need from the internet. Uh, it's very simple. There's one search bar here, two buttons here. I think I wonder if they still have this button, but essentially you type something here, you click this button and you start seeing results for what you searched for. Um, that's an established mental model. We can use it, no problem. What about this thing here, which I have no idea what it is, by the way. I know it's from Braun, but we have no mental model for what this is, how it operates, how do we turn it on, what does it do, uh, just run away from it. Minhal, uh, that's exactly what people do. If you don't understand what it is, if it's complicated, if it looks intimidating, you run away from it. And uh, Zambil is a great example of that. Um, when you open Zambil, you don't want to be in there and you can't figure out what you want to do, how you want to do it, why? Because you have no mental model of it. And even if you try to create one, it's very hard because it doesn't come to you naturally. Um, and so the reason why we're, we're interested in user research is to understand how people think about things and then build those things in a way that build upon their existing schemas and mental models. So they're not too far away. And so, um, you know, as Minal puts it very nicely, they're not running away from uh, something like that. Here's another example. Um, we have this remote with all these buttons. Uh, what do these buttons do? I don't know. Um, again, if you had nine channels, then maybe you could teach someone that one to nine brings up those channels. But what if you have 900 channels and now you have to develop a new mental model that says I can press one button after the other button, I can press three and then five and I will get to 35. But also I have to do it within one second of each other. Otherwise it will just go to three. Um, so all of these things we're trying to understand. Um, and then all of these buttons here, I don't think anyone knows what 
they do because they're not consistent in their function as well. Um, how about this remote? This is from um, a TV company, smart TV company called Roku. Uh, and so the difference between this remote and this remote is that these guys probably did the research and said, people don't need all of those buttons. They need something simpler. So we're going to build something simpler. We're going to have just these 10 or 15 buttons here. And also they need to get to Netflix fast. So we'll have a dedicated button for Netflix and Amazon. Uh, and the presence of these buttons is them doing the research on how people are using televisions. Uh, and you can see how this changes. 50 years ago, we were using television differently. 20 years ago, we were doing it differently. And today, television for many people means Netflix. So we have one dedicated Netflix button here. What is it that people want to do most often on a TV? Watch Netflix. Let's give them a Netflix button. Um, Imagine if Zambil had that one button and you check your assignments and grades, but no, you have to go through like six or seven buttons each time to do it. So that's an example of where they didn't do enough research to understand who is using their product and why. Um, Apple takes it a step further. This is the remote for the Apple TV or Simplify Cardia. Um, they say, well, we don't necessarily you know, want to have all the buttons here, everything can be on the screen. So instead of you looking at the remote and figuring out which button you want to press and then pointing it to the TV and then hoping that you aim it right and there's nothing blocking the way and then you press it, we're going to have a wireless Wi-Fi enabled, Bluetooth enabled remote. Um, so you can press it like this, like this, like this, you can face it anyway. And then everything you want is on the screen. So you don't have to figure out which button does what, uh, on the screen, you'll see exactly what you're going to be doing with uh, the button. Um, now, some people could say that, well, people don't understand how this thing works. Uh, there's an up, down, left, right. It's not very uh, visible. Uh, but the people they're making this remote for are most likely iPhone users who are already aware of the iPhone, iPod, actually, because this is from the iPod Wala Zamana. Um, where you had that round circular clicky thing. So they know that people use the iPod and they're used to this sort of interface. So we're going to make a remote that matches what they already know about how it works. Um, so there's um, this as well. Um, and this is something you get through ethnographies or parts of an ethnography. This is um, Spotify when you connect it to your car. You can see at the bottom, it says Bluetooth, Volkswagen Bluetooth 0804. Um, they figure that we are going to go and do some research. Spotify, by the way, has a very elaborate research practice. And I think it's one of the reasons why they tend to do so well, uh, because the product they're offering is exactly the same as Apple Music and Google Play and YouTube and all of those things, Pandora, uh, which is that you get to listen to music. Uh, but they decide, well, we want to know specifically, amongst other things, obviously, how people um, use Spotify in their cars. So we're going to go along with them. We're going to go along on the right. We're going to ride next to them. We're going to see what sort of music they listen to. Uh, how do they you know, navigate through that music? Do they have steering controls on their uh, steering wheel? Or you know, are they using their phone? And they find that, well, people tend to use their phone a lot uh to change the music i don't like a song i want to skip it 
if I don't have a steering wheel, I have to pull out my phone, I have to unlock it, and I have to press the button uh, for the next song. So they redesigned their interface just for cars whenever you have it connected to your car. Uh, how is this more conducive to driving and listening to music? I'll ask again, uh, how is this more helpful when you're driving while listening to music? Uh, Hafsa says no unlocking the phone required. You can press the button to skip. Bigger buttons, that's the big thing about this thing, uh, Ali. Uh, I guess it's not easy to see when I have the screenshot here, but this whole part is taking up more than half of the screen. So you can... Uh, press the button and it's larger. And more importantly, uh, here's where the nuance comes in. These buttons are designed to be used with your index finger. A lot of applications are designed to be used with your thumb because that's how you're holding the phone. Uh, and let, let's actually just compare Spotify with Spotify. Uh, this is Spotify, uh, how it normally looks like. And so I can, you know, this is all within my thumbable area. I can reach for the play and pause button. Uh, there's this giant art. I can swipe up and down. I can swipe left and right. Um, but if I were to be using this while I'm driving a car, I have to look down. Uh, if this is my car mount and this is me driving, then it's hard for me to press the button like this. And so what they're doing is making larger buttons and that allows me to use my index finger. I reach out and I can just use my index finger to tap rather than some awkward motion like this. Um, and those are the sort of things that you find out when you're observing users using your product in its natural setting. That's where ethnographies come in. Uh, and also notice how they've limited the features. Uh, what are some features that people want to use while driving their car? They probably just want to skip to the next song or pause the song. And maybe if it's a good song, you add it to your favorites and then shuffle Dahlia. That's it. Those, those are the only four things you can do as opposed to adding it to a playlist and all of those elaborate uh, other features that are nice to have, but not important while I'm in a car. Um, so that tells me you know, why it's important to do research. Let me go back here again to really drive home the point. We want to understand why people are using something and we want to understand how people are using something so that when we make our products, uh, these are all physical products here. Uh, this is a digital product. We are aligned with how people are thinking about these things. What do we have next? So um, I'm gonna pause here for another break. Let's keep this three or four minutes and then I'll spend another 10 minutes on this and then we'll uh, have the last 20 minutes for some discussion. So let's pause here for a break. Um, who said what? Um, Apple's mental models are designed for Apple users. So uh, 
Apple isn't necessarily in the business now of selling more iPhones because almost everyone who wants an iPhone has an iPhone. Um, they're branching out into uh, other hardware. So AirPods and Apple watches and iPads and things like that. And people will buy them because they're similar to iPhones. The interface is similar. Uh, if I wanted to buy a laptop, as I said, then I'm as an iPhone user, I'm more likely to buy a MacBook because it works well and it fits in with my existing mental model of how something should work. It has the same icons, the same interface, the same language. Um, and also they're starting to sell services as well. Um, Ikra, do you have um, something for this part of the class before the discussion? Um, like, otherwise I can continue and then we'll um, get to the discussion. I just wanted to ask about how important they think user research is, mm -hmm. but are you going to uh, tackle that first or should I ask this afterwards? Uh, you can ask and okay. then share what you know as well. <clears throat> Okay, so I just wanted to ask you guys, how much do you think user research is important? Like what difference would it make if it wasn't done? And we have some examples here already of why it's important. It's so much importance. Says, you know. <laughs> uh, I, I guess the, the better way to phrase this question is why is it important rather than whether or not it's important? Um, and maybe you can come up with, uh, you guys can think about something that you use, either a digital product or a physical product that you wish was designed differently um, in order to fit your mental models, I suppose. Uh, companies making mindless products, says Hafsa, uh, which we can't understand. Uh, capturing attention. Microwave, thank you, Ali. Uh, I still fail to, by the way, speaking of microwave, if you have a stove or an oven in your kitchen or someone else's kitchen, you'll find that 99% of the time, if it has a clock on it, that clock time is displaying some random time. And the reason for that is that it's you can't figure out how to change the time because it's not like any other mental model you have. It's just, you know, maybe you have to press two different buttons together or, you know, one button press for 10 seconds and there's no intuitive way to understand how to change that. Even if there is a clock button there, same on microwaves, by the way, uh, the time is always off and it annoys me no end. And that is one reason why user research. Well, you know, those are just tiny things. Uh, there is a greater purpose to user research other than, you know, changing the time, but it's one example of how you can make a better product uh, if you know how people are using things. Um, we have some good comments here as well. Um, the app you make is for the user, says Sabi. So if you don't do the user research, you can never know what their likes and dislikes are. And yet we have so many, uh, products that are precisely made by people sitting in compute, sitting in their rooms with their own computers, designing it for themselves, and they understand how it works, but they can't translate that to the end user. Uh, changing the time in the car would be an excellent example of that again. Uh, clocks are very difficult everywhere. Uh, 
even when you set the time on the watch you have to do some funny stuff like pulling it out halfway to do something and then pull it out full to do something else uh <laughs> mahir i have a treat for you with the mcb mobile app uh remind me i will send you something and you will nod along at just how bad it is uh empathy aspect we will get to that excellent uh bisma so let me speed through uh some of these slides because we're going to be talking about it in more detail as well um one thing i want you to do from now on is take pictures or screenshots of bad design bad interfaces bad products um and then just post them on slack uh as and when you come across i have a whole bunch ready to go like uh, obviously it annoys me to no end um but yeah share pictures of bad interfaces bad usability uh lms quiz tabs of course sure is that yeah. i never took a quiz on lms but then again i never had an online semester zambil pretty much every if i want to change my password for zambil i have to use this actual computer that i can't change it from home i have to use this computer or i have to go to ist uh ali there is an overlap between this and hci uh for sure uh with this class we're going a little deeper into how people think because it's a psychology class but uh, the end goal is the same um so i'm going to speed through uh these slides uh, i'm just picking some of the research methods that i've talked like listed already uh the first of which is an ethnography which uh, we already uh talked about uh it's also called an, a contextual inquiry or an immersion trip uh, depending on which industry you go to and the idea is just to watch people that's it you know you go there and you observe how people are doing things in their natural context so with the spotify and cars wali example you go and drive the car yourself uh let me get back to that one actually you sit with someone and you watch what they're doing maybe if you want it to be a more more discreet you watch other people in traffic as you're driving uh because if you're sitting next to them they might change their behavior um so um i did a project for instance in lums um about a pan users ethnography kon log hain jo pan khate hain kyun khate hain kaise khate hain and for that we go to uh, pan hotspots like JD and uh, Shibi and uh, Pan Gali and Arkali, something like that. And we we just sit and watch people eat pan. Uh, and then if we really want to get into it, that's where we have participant observation, which is you do the things that you are watching other people do yourself. So we eat the pan ourselves. We go through the whole process of deciding which one to get, kya farak hai, what ingredients uh, you want, and you know there's a ritual that I. Uh, these are sort of things you only understand when you when you're in at there uh the tradition is that the person who makes the pan puts it in your mouth with his own hands uh and so that's a big part of the pan consumption culture if you're a die hard pan user uh, it sounds weird to say pan user that's how we phrase it um and shadowing is uh, the people don't know that you're there but you're just watching them you're just following them uh, very creepy uh, but a valid method uh, as long as it's not just you and one other person don't shadow one other person down a dark alley uh, but in the supermarket for instance you might sit and watch one person go through one aisle then go to another aisle and then you're just you know keeping your distance and 
uh, following them around and looking at what they're doing. Uh, then we have diary studies, which um, is you ask participants to maintain a diary uh, and just write down their thoughts about what they do and why they do it. Uh, and then you just go through that, try and understand their thought process without influencing that. So you can't answer questions on the spot, but if you write them down, maintain a journal, I can read through that and understand why or how you think about something. Um, Ooh, this needs a whole slide of its own. So let me minimize myself here. Uh, we are going to do surveys. And if there's one thing that we all hate, not just me, but all of us as part of this class, we hate bad surveys. So we are not going to do bad surveys. I will teach you how not to do bad surveys. You've probably been doing them throughout your three or four years at LUMS. Um, and we will go into excruciating detail about what makes a bad survey and how you can improve it. So these are some of the questions that uh, we'll answer. When to use them? Spoiler alert, there's only a handful of situations where you ever want to use surveys, but because they're easy, uh, it's the first thing that we think of, okay, oh, research and we want to find out what people think let's just use surveys and then we distribute them willy-nilly uh, and then we also ask them uh, questions like uh, if this product was cheap and good and available and you could get it immediately right now and it could do all of the things you wanted to do would you buy it yes no and then we go and say well 95 percent of people said they would buy our product so we need this product it's there in the data uh, SDSV kids being shocked says my hey, trust me, I, I was one, so I know exactly how bad it is there. So this is my one man crusade against bad service, starting with this course. And then maybe there are entire courses just on surveys, by the way. Um, then we have experiments. Again, uh, we talked about how academia structures experiments. Um, in industry, you do use them sometimes, but rarely. One common way is to do A-B testing. A-B testing is that you have two or more versions. It could be A-B-C testing. You have two or more versions of something and you just want to see which one works better than the other. So here's an example, uh, control group, experimental group, as I said. Uh, I designed something with a red banner and I designed something with a green banner. And I see the green banner uh, gets me 37% more clicks, not more clicks, 14% uh, more clicks than the red banner. And so I conclude that this needs to be green. Now notice how this has no basis in theory for why green works better than red or what about it, what about this button or this color is making people click more. All we're concerned about is pesa banane. So if I put in a green button and people are clicking more on that green button, that's it, I'm done there. That's my research done. And of course, if you have the budget and time, then you might want to go deeper into these things. Uh, and you do find that it's not necessarily color psychology. That's the reason. Maybe it's because all of the other things on this page were white and the button was green. And uh, so it stood out. And here, all of the other things were reddish or similar to red. And then the button's also red, so it's hard to spot. Um, color psychology, by the way, is the research is split on that. Let's not go there. But yeah, yeah negative vibes in patriotic people. Then we have our favorite interviews, which come in a variety of flavors. Intercept interviews. Someone is hanging out with their group 
in Jamin and you say, hey, do you have five minutes to answer these few questions? And so you interrupt them while they're engaged in a task, but specifically the task that you want to observe. So if you're in a grocery store and you want to research on cereal and you see someone in the cereal aisle, that's where you might intercept them and say, okay, so what made you spend five minutes in the cereal aisle? Why are you, you know, what went through your head? So uh, intercepting people at the point of that task. Uh, In-depth interviews are, you know, you have people and then you sit with them and then it's a longer interview, like 30 minutes, 40 minutes, 60 minutes, two hours, uh, and they come in these varieties as well. Again, we're going to be covering all of these in separate sessions uh, and then focus groups as you're all aware of. Um, Minhal asked what co-creation is. Co-creation is just focus groups, except that you're also building something with them. So I gather five or seven people and I say, well, we want to build the perfect car. And so I give them chart papers or post-it notes or thermopole. And I say, how would you build the perfect car? And then I see, okay, what are the features that they're including? What are features that they're not including? Uh, and that's why it's also called participatory design. So you're not, you're not the one designing the thing. You are asking other people to help you design the thing so you can have uh, a closer match between what they need and what you're making. This course, by the way, is an example of participatory design. I'm asking you guys when the deadlines should be, what sort of assignments you want, whether you want to change things. And I'm using this instead of it coming from me, this is what I think. I want to know what you guys think. And then I use that information to design the course with you. Um, and then uh, I think in the chat, we had usability testing. Um, if you're a CS major, you're probably aware of this. If you're not, usability testing is quite literally how usable is your product. If you ask someone to go and do a task uh, on Zimbil, uh, and try this, by the way, ask someone who's not from LUMS to go and find your grades on Zimbil for last semester see how well they do. Uh, that's a usability test. Can people complete the task that you've set them to do? Uh, and uh, Sherezade struggles. I struggle, by the way, every time I open uh, the interface to like add assignments, there's three buttons that look similar. Uh, and, uh, you know, I always click the wrong one. Um, so we're going to be doing three or four of these. I still have to, um, you know, decide which ones, but that brings me to the evil final project. And let me move myself aside here for a second. Um, huh. So this is a brief overview of what uh, we're going to be doing. Uh, and I'll send like documentation for some of these, maybe not all of them. Um, step one is you pick a product, which I already asked you to do. It could be something new or it could be something that already exists like Zambil. Uh, and then you do some secondary research on what it is. Um, better explained with an example. So I'm going to use an example I used uh, last time about a fictional app that I made, uh, does not actually exist, but for the purposes of this example called Instagram, which is um, Instagram, but for grandmas so instagram with an n um, so i pick a new product it doesn't exist already so i say i'm my project is going to be about instagram uh, which is a new product that i've made uh, 
then I do some secondary research. Now, if you picked an existing product, then you might find secondary research on it already. But if you pick a new product, then the next best thing is to look at what already exists. So what is Instagram? It's a social network for grandmas. Uh, why does it exist? Well, I find that uh, Facebook and Instagram don't adequately meet the needs of grandmas. They're hard to use. They don't understand it. So I want to create something specifically for them. Um, why aren't they using it? Or you know, who is using Instagram? And why aren't grandmas using it? What's the competition like? Is there something else already like there uh, that I'm trying to recreate? So you know, just do your quick Google searches, read up on a few articles, and then write maybe one page on or half a page or one page. I'll send these details separately on what it is. Uh, why do you feel the need to make this product? Or if it's an existing product, why isn't it doing well? Or you know, what problems are there with that? Then we want to make it better. And by better, I mean, we want to make it evil. So with the Instagram app, I say, well, I've studied the hook model. I know what triggers are. I know what rewards and investments are. So I want to make my grandma use more of Instagram. So what I'll do is, I'll put all of her best memories on Instagram. Uh, whenever she signs up, I say, hey, upload pictures of your grandchildren there. And now she's invested in the app because she already has something there. And I say, well, uh, grandmas tend to cook a lot. Well, you can also have a section just for recipes. So I'm understanding how people are using other products and how can I build what they need into one big product. Um, and then obviously the evil stuff like heuristics and biases um, and halo effect. Grandmas tend to watch a lot of uh, Auntie Zubeda. So I use Auntie Zubeda to endorse my app, Zubeda Baji. Zubeda Baji or Auntie Zubeda, one of those two. Um, so I use them. Um, and then uh, you know we go through all of the concepts. I want to make it viral. Well, how do I spread something within the Zubeda Appa, so it's not the two that I mentioned. There we go. How do I spread something in the grandma population? Uh, what? Well, we studied that it's you know high emotional arousal. So do I go for a positive emotion or a negative emotion? What if I say, you know, all the pictures you have physically stored, what if your house burns down and you lose all those pictures? So wouldn't it be great if you digitize them and put them on my app? And then I, you know, that provokes fear and anxiety and that spreads my message more. So uh, we do these three things and then it's primary research. I'll teach you classes on good service and usability testing, maybe interviews. I'm not sure yet, but probably. Uh, and so you color your findings with primary research as well. And then lastly, we'll discuss how to make it unaddictive, uh, how to unbuild it. How do you make it more human? What if you want grandmas to just use Instagram for the purpose that they downloaded it for and not to spend hours and hours and hours on the app. So we'll cover that. Uh, right now, I think you have enough information to do one, two, and three. Um, and some of the next few classes, we'll be doing uh, things that are in four and five. So um, let's move this discussion to Slack. But I think uh, since we don't have a midterm and you guys aren't going to be doing this until there is a deadline, uh, I, I would like you to create a draft here. Um, you know, just have a running Google Doc that you can share with me and say, well, this is the product we picked and, you know, just start working on these things. Um, and I'll put 
flexible deadlines for you uh, so that it's optional for you to stick to them. But just to get some words on paper, um, you can get started. Um, so that is that. Uh, Moid, you have a few questions. And then uh, the last 10 minutes, uh, Ikra has uh, discussion questions for us. Yes, next second. I will turn on my. How are you guys? Uh, yeah. So, um, so I was wondering when you guys would like to uh, do your uh, recitations that we were talking about. Just so, like you know, we can revise the concepts that we've covered in into the course uh, again. Um, so, um, like one way we can do this is do this uh, like in uh, in class like have a certain like time like set in class or we can do this like outside of class like a tutorial kind of thing um, so in that way what would happen that there is we would have less time if we do it in class uh, but if we do it like out of class we may have more time um, if we do it in class we might may have to like split it like maybe like um, do it in 20 minute chunks or like 15 minute chunks however uh, and it's just going to be questions, and then we're just going to be like, after every question, we'll discuss it. Check if this was the question. Um, do something like that. Um, this also means, by the way, that class will uh, have to be extended. I tried to end by 7.30ish, but we will almost certainly be going up until 7.50 if you want the extra 20 minutes to do the revision. Uh, but we can make a Slack poll for that. Uh, first, for in-class versus outside of class and then if outside of class wins then what date or time right um so that's going to be that um and other than that um i wanted to like ask you guys about the um beverage time thing that we that i like uh, sent you as an email about like once upon a time um so your reflection paper one is done um, and I was wondering if you guys would like to like reflect on your reflections together uh, as a group, um, only because I feel like um, when you're going to reflect on it in a group, you will find out how like other people's went, other people went about it. Like some of you made videos, some of you had like pictures, some of you just wrote. Like most of you will probably just have uh, made a written note. Um, and I'm and it's very awesome. And you probably don't want to share like all of it. Or like you uh, because just because they were very personal, so maybe you can share like some of it and then just like talk about it. This is how I this is how I thought about it. Uh, this was my thought process, and this is like these were some of my like insights from the reflection. And that way, like you know, um, we learn more about uh, like the entire like challenge, like how it affected everyone, and then we will also like. Uh, you know, understand, like we'll, we'll have a richer understanding of the entire process and maybe we'll have like a good discussion. Um, so the way that I wanted to go about this is to like um, put a Google sheet on um, uh, Slack and if three people sign up on it, um, we can, I'll consider doing it uh, maybe this Saturday or like probably this Saturday. Uh, so like three people is the minimum because, you know, um, three is a crowd. Um, it's going to be a nice discussion if it's three people. Um, and like three is good as well. Like, you know, um, you can get like, have intimate like sharing and all of that. Uh, anything more is a plus. Um, so anyone, if you guys are interested in doing that, um, uh, definitely like, you know, let me know on Slack. I will 
put I will put the sheet on um, Slack. You guys can like you know just like uh, write your name on it if you're interested in doing it. Um, you can share like I said as much as you want. It's not like also yeah it's not mandatory or anything. This is be fun. Uh, and you can like bring your tea or whatever. Uh, you can bring your beverage and apparently water is a beverage now. So you can bring water as well. Um, so that's that's the two things that I wanted to discuss. I will follow up on these on uh, Slack. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's as all a, for me. Yeah, thank you, Muit. As a taster for what this might look like, we have the next 10, 14 minutes. I'm going to go five minutes over time but, uh, because we have some good questions from Ikra. Uh, about the reflection paper. Um, so for the next 10 or 15 minutes, let's discuss what you guys did, how it was like, things like that. And then uh, you can have more of that with Moeed later on as well. So for me, okay. So for me, this was the first time I went off from all my social media accounts simultaneously. Mm -hmm. And it was pretty difficult in the beginning. And even though the aim was initially for around 30 hours, going without social media somehow got easier. I don't know why, but it got easier. So I continued it for a week. But I still oh, wow. had this urge to check. <laughs> yeah. But I still had this urge to check my Instagram because that's where I'm usually most active. And that's where we have groups and we send memes. So it was quite challenging for me. So I would, I want to know if how challenging this activity was for you all. So um, my first question is, uh, was going on a social media detox new to all of you or had any one of you did do something like this before? Yes, no, so again, I did not miss my friends. <laughs> okay, it was new mainly. For people who, for whom this wasn't new, why did you do it before? Okay, so it was mostly new. You can read some of the responses as well, just in case someone isn't opening chat, they can okay, so hear what Hear my head. I hate too much of mm -hmm. social media. I need to make some time for myself. Phone broke down, was annoyed. Mood. People were getting annoying. Yes, mood. Okay. So, not new. Went to Kashmir for a few days. Yeah, it is pretty relaxing to not use social media. Okay, so how many hours or days did you manage to go without social media? I just want an idea. 10 days or? Oh, 32. Five to six days. That's a big spread. Ten days. One month previously. Wow, Afsa. Afsa is doing this on like pro mode here. <laughs> okay, how much was yours, Sukana? Because you're feeling left out. Oh, so she did do the 30 hours. At least hours. she finished the aim, yeah. Okay, so 
Which platform was the most difficult to abstain from? Like for me, it was Instagram. So can I, sorry. WhatsApp, Facebook. I'm surprised so many people did WhatsApp when it wasn't part of it. Interesting. I did not do WhatsApp. It's probably that's the thing I'm most addicted to. So I yeah. wanted to make it difficult for but for different reasons, you use Instagram and WhatsApp for very different reasons. I don't use the other apps very often. Yeah, I did mention uh, that WhatsApp was voluntary. Who um, said who asked? Someone asked. It's mainly WhatsApp and Instagram. I also said that this whole thing is voluntary, so you can do it for three hours if you want. Uh, nobody's checking for 30 hours. There's no prizes for doing it for 30 or 32 or 3 or 5 or 10. Entirely voluntary, up to you. I guess it had more to do with that we wanted to do 30 hours, you know, complete the aim. Because you have an escalation of commitment. If you've done 17 hours or 20 hours, then you may as well do the whole 30 hours even if it kills you. I have a question. Why was it 30 hours? Why not 24 or 48? Why 30? Ah, uh, not 48 because I wanted to be a little humane. Uh, not 24 uh, because uh, your stories are for 24 hours on Snapchat and Instagram. And if you you know, if the last thing you did was at 5 p.m. and then the next day at 4.59 p.m., you open Instagram again, you still get to see all the stories that you missed. I wanted to make sure that you miss at least something without ever getting it back. So those extra six hours are for you to miss out on at least six hours of content, if not more. Wow. So there we go. I wanted to ask uh, why did you like why not WhatsApp? Like a lot of us, if we were using it more than its purpose and like being addicted to it then shouldn't we also put this in the whole 30 hours? I mentioned it was voluntary, ideally, Kardo, like in, uh, people have study groups on it, people use it for actual communication as well. So I don't want it to be, uh, you know, too imposing. Mm -hmm. um, did you guys put in 20% of extra effort? Uh, I don't know how many people pledged to do that. Leila, do we have the poll results? Uh, I would very much like to see that extra effort that, okay, what were the results? Actually, tell me who pledged 20% so I can compare. Uh, I did. You can just post a screenshot in Slack. Um, with the Google was anonymous on purpose. Even for you? Yeah. Uh, okay. So uh, 10 people voted, 8 said yes, and 2 said no. Okay. I was one of the no people. So <laughs> even though I don't get a vote here. Uh, yeah. What else do you have, Ikra? Okay. So whilst on the social media detox, did you offer any other platform to pass time? Like for me, it was more of Netflix and somehow an increased time on WhatsApp. So did you resort to any other apps? Yes, Among Us, YouTube. Among Us, YouTube. YouTube. I stayed at the wall. 
maybe next time i should include video sources as well because netflix and youtube seems to be the dominant answer here they're the only answer apart from among us notes oh wow ali is opening his notes app wow Included Netflix and YouTube. <laughs> I could never. Okay, so on a scale of one to ten, how difficult was this for you, and why? If you're comfortable telling why. Three, My five, game is a nine seven. without WhatsApp. Six, nine at the start, <laughs> four at the end. Yeah, I meant uh, without as in without using WhatsApp. Right. Oh. <laughs> Is Zoom social media? And we were worried about missing something on the study groups. Did did you miss something on the study groups? Like, did something happen uh-huh. in the thirty hours? Not just the study groups. I had forgotten to tell my teacher, OTA teacher, that I was going to and deliverable due to me. The kids spammed me because the other TA is not that friendly, and they don't approach people. And they didn't do it. So they were waiting for three days because I went for 42.5 hours. And they were going to cry because they were going to answer the deliverable summit. So they were a lot of mishaps. ठीक This whole course is a big Slack appreciation course. Uh, every session, I will point out one new thing about why Slack is so great, uh, mm-hmm. and not sharing your private number, of course. Uh, Manel, you're welcome to do it as many times as you want. Go for it. Actually, pretty helpful. Okay, so can you share a few things you realized during this activity? I mean, you must have had some perceptions. It wouldn't have been. Difficult at all if it wasn't in during the online semester. Because I have done it many times. It has been a lot of fun in my life. But like, it's so hard to be difficult. Yeah, because everything is online and on WhatsApp. It's interesting because if you had the freedom of the campus instead, then you know maybe you sit outside and read a book or something. Uh, it sounds fun to say nobody ever actually does that. काफी रोमांटिसाइज्ड होता है कि जस्ट मी सिटिंग इन अ चेयर विद लाइक वार्म विंटर सनलाइट एंड अ कप ऑफ टी एंड अ बुक एंड देन यू टेक अ स्नैप ऑफ इट एंड यू रीड टू पेजेस इट्स वेरी हार्ड टू गेट टू दैट पॉइंट मॉस्किटोज ऑफ कोर्स द समर हीट ऑल ऑफ दोस थिंग्स आई डोंट नीड टू एज मच बट लाइक आई फाउंड अदर सोर्सेस टू वेस्ट टाइम इट्स मेन हैव आई फाउंड नेटफ्लिक्स ओके Okay, but my that's never happened to me, Mister. Like ever at lunch. Uh, I try to read at the cricket ground, and there's a cat there that keeps 
coming to me because it's associated me with food. Uh, I think I told you like I walk with Imran Rashid the f- like sometimes and he brings the food but then the cat associates the food with me and so it just annoys me asking for food. Uh, Would you feed it? No, I don't have cat food with me. <laughs> I don't live on campus. Uh but okay. the cats are well cared for, don't worry. That's great. What else do you have for us? So my last question is that how many of you genuinely enjoyed this activity or did it just for the sake of their reflection paper? And you can be completely honest or won't penalize or anything. I'm sure he's interested in your answers. Okay, reflection paper. <laughs> yes, I had fun as well. I think the reflection paper is a convenient excuse to do something that you probably would have wanted to do all along. Okay, so most of them are like, it's for the reflection paper, which is actually surprising. But that might be my own bias. Well, that's the external trigger. There's an assignment, I have to do it. Uh, but can you internalize some of that by just not opening social media when you want to not open it as opposed to when someone told, tells you not to? Uh, True. That's it from my side. I've asked all the questions. Mm-hmm. But it was different. It was nice to know what other people went through. Like They found it challenging as well. Visma finds it really hard. It was very <laughs> evident. I mean, I didn't include WhatsApp and it was difficult enough. Uh, well, hopefully by the end of this course, you have a little more control over why you do these things. We're going to be uh, talking about getting unhooked by the end of this course. Uh, so uh, this is like a, a high level discussion that we've had. If you want to you know, go more in depth with Moid, with potentially fewer people and just talk about what the experience was like, like actually living that experience and you know what were the points where it was hard and things like that uh, then you can do the beverage session as well and i don't understand the debate between water being a beverage and not being a beverage of course it's a beverage beverage is i haven't looked at the dictionary definition but a beverage is something you drink and water is something you drink uh, petrol is not a beverage so uh, yeah have your choice of beverage on there if you want to. So three things uh, by the uh, after this class. One, I will create some documentation on what I expect you to do with the project uh, and you should get started now. And then I will also pull you for a flexible deadline uh, within the next few days or weeks. So you have something to show me. Um, two is Moid's poll on when you want the revision sessions and how you want them done. And three is Moid's poll on the beverage session. Uh, I can upload the slides. Uh, sure. Uh, yeah, I can do that. Our tears beverages in my hero. Let's have a Slack poll for that. This is an interesting question. The free assignment, um, there's no directions from me. If you want to discuss what you have in mind, you can do that over Slack, like just message me. Uh, there's like, you get to decide the deadline, you get to decide the format, the topic, everything. So uh, don't leave it until the last day. Uh, all right, let us end class here. Um, 
and we shall meet.